Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and this is a show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and I get to talk about everything in between. Today, I have the incredible Matthew Hochberg. He's the founder of Hochberg Sports Marketing, but man, he's been around the block a little bit. I have <laughs> SB Nation, Brooklyn Nets, Red Bulls, Momentum Sports and Entertainment, BSE, and Open Sponsorship, amongst others. I don't think I had enough room on my paper to fill it up, but at... <laughs> Matthew, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. Pleasure is all mine. I promise you that. So uh, let's let's talk, man. You've had some fun stuff. You've done some cool things, all pretty much in the world of sports. As I said, there's some places on here that I didn't even get to write down. First question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and my answer has probably changed over the years. So I guess I'll give you the most current answer. Um, and I think it really comes down to the change that sports could drive and what we've, what we've been seeing today. I mean, I'm a massive NBA fan of mm-hmm. also worked uh, within the NBA and just, you know, going back a couple of weeks ago to the Milwaukee Bucks uh, player strike and really within 24, 48 hours of the player striking and threatening to, to leave the bubble and really uh, cancel the rest of the season. Uh, We saw NBA owners and teams uh, really in a matter of days, uh, them announcing that they're turning their arenas into voting centers and making their arenas accessible to the masses, um, not even on election day, but prior to election day to, to register to vote as well. And that is actionable change that was driven from sports that is impacting the lives of millions of, of tens of millions of Americans, if not more. And I think um, that for better or for worse, these athletes um, and these teams and leagues are at the forefront of the national conversation. And they have a lot of um, power and, and a very large voice. And the fact that they're using it for good, for the good of the general public, for the good of the nation, um, is awesome. And, uh, so that is my most current answer. If you asked me a couple of years ago, it would have been different. If you asked me when I was, you know, in high school it would have been a lot different, but uh, my, my most current answer is the, uh, large amounts of positive change that sports is driving. I, I think it's a great answer too, because as you said, I mean, just that, that is one example. I mean, we know, I think it was the Milwaukee bucks while they were in the locker room to talk about protests in the game. They also got on the phone with their state attorney general or, or some yeah. very, very higher up person in the state to say, Hey, what the hell are we doing here? Come on guys. Like, let's get it together, which I think is awesome. I think it is fantastic that these players have that the profile they have the platform they have the influence i mean we talk about influencer marketing all the time i'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit but this is true real influence we're not trying to sell somebody something we're not trying to make sure a brand is visible we're literally trying to change the state the 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 people that live in it for the people that live in it and and you know potentially obviously the country because garnered a lot of attention uh, it's really never happened before where teams you know potentially protest a strike i don't know exactly correct terminology of what they did, but it was incredible. I know that, which was pretty cool. And and in terms of that, I mean, we've been seeing it a lot more recently with athletes, especially with social media. And I think the NBA is the biggest at it, right? I don't think something like this would have happened in basketball. 
Uh, or I'm sorry, I don't think something like this would have happened in football, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, we saw them protest in baseball, but we also saw my Mets. You know, we had our general manager get caught on that hot mic saying like, oh, yeah. but they're thinking about coming out and playing in an hour. It's like, <laughs> it's not the point. That's not how this works. So they all did their protest. But then there's just double headers the next day. So while it was cool, it was a nice gesture. And I think, the, you know, they stood in solidarity with their 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 brothers and sisters across the NBA, the WNBA and all these other sports. Something like this in the NFL wouldn't have happened. Uh, something like this isn't as impactful in in MLB. Why do you think it is so impactful in the NBA? Yeah, um, I think it's a really good point and a good question. I think it is um, as impactful across sports. But what I do think is different is that these other sports and and these other leagues are more hesitant to take these uh, more drastic measures. And the NBA is really acting as the leader. We even saw back in March, um, I believe it was on March 11th, I'll never forget uh, where I was when I got the notification from Woj, I think on my phone, mm-hmm. that uh, Adam Silver had decided to uh, cancel or postpone the NBA season. And you know, within 24 hours, all the other leagues were coming out and making an, and they were making statements in regards to their seasons. And there were more postponed, p- postponements and more cancellations. So I really give a lot of credit uh, to the NBA leadership of Adam Silver. Um, and as well as the players. And um, they're the ones who are truly uh, n- not scared to to voice their opinions and to take drastic measures to be able to drive that change. And they're almost giving um, the athletes in other sports and, and these other leagues the permission, mm-hmm. uh, so in a sense, to, to go out and do something similar. It's also different. I mean, the NBA is, is predominantly a black sport. Um, Whereas the NHL is, I don't know, like 75% white or something like that. And obviously with what's going on in the country, um, it just makes sense that, um, you know, that they would, uh, you know, speak up and, you know, kind of drive that train. It's it's unfortunate. It it has to be that way, but that's how it it seems to have gone this far. Yeah. Yeah. And Hey, it it happened. I think that's the most important part. Right. Um, Yeah. We saw the MLB, um, they're they're always just they always do the wrong thing. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> always consistently wrong. Uh, so that's great. Uh, but yeah, interesting, interesting way to set up this conversation. And I know, as you said, you worked in the NBA. You're a massive NBA fan. Uh, you worked for the Nets. You also worked for BSE, uh, Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, you got it. I, I got that. I got that. It's um, parent company of the Brooklyn yeah. Nets. So well, and now it's BSE Global, but it yeah. was Brooklyn Sports Entertainment when I was there. Yep. And so I guess. Was that one of like, I guess, were you a Nets fan growing up? Was this kind of like a little bit of a dream job at some point? Yeah, for sure. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up as a New uh, as a New Jersey Nets New fan, Jersey. even though, what's that? New Jersey Nets fan. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, even though most of my friends around me, even though they're in Jersey, uh, they were fans of the New York Knicks. So I felt that was on a on a bit of an island. But um, I, I grew up a Nets fan. Uh Again, big NBA fan and working for them was, was, it, it, it really was a dream come true. It was unbelievable. I actually found a text from, from a relative, um, uh, when I was interning there and, um, it was me texting him a photo of the court and he replied, I, 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 one day you will be on that court full time or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I actually found that text when I was working there and, nice. and showing fans the court. So it was definitely a neat experience and uh, I really enjoyed my time working there for sure. That is awesome. And so you had two different stints with them, correct? Yeah. So I, I, um, I interned there when I was in school okay. going into my junior year 
and then uh, I was fortunate enough to to get a full time role in my second in my second full time gig um, coming out of college. Hell yeah! And yeah, you did have a few different ones. I mean, I, I rattled off a few. You worked with the Red Bulls. You worked with Momentum, BSE Global, Open Sponsorship, and you did all this in a relatively short period of time, <laughs> which. It's sports, man. I know people that pretty much change their job every eight months until they get to the <laughs> level or get to where they want to get to. And some people are willing to do that. Other people, now I've had the opportunity to talk to people where they've been with one franchise for 25 years and just just happened to be able to work up that food chain. I guess, what was it for you and, and how comfortable were you being able to, I mean, I'm not going to say move all over the, the world or anything, but I mean, you New Jersey, New York. Uh, Washington, D.C.? I mean, you moved a little bit uh, around. What was it like? And I guess, what was the reasoning behind all of that? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I guess I'll take a step back and talk about that internship experience that I had with the Brooklyn Nets when I was in school going into my junior year. That was really my first experience working within the sports industry. You know, prior to that, I really, I, I would guess now, just consider myself a sports fan. And that really opened up my eyes to all of the different, you know, possibilities uh, to actually work in the industry. Um, I was working on the uh, sponsorship and and partnership side of the industry for the Brooklyn Nets at the time. And I remember uh, going to a New York Yankees game that summer, I just as a fan, and it was the first time where I was not just looking at what was actually happening on the field, but I was looking at all the signage around the stadium. And I, and I, and I remember I took out my, uh, my Brooklyn Nets notepad that I had, and I wrote down all of the sponsors that were Yankees partners that were not partners of the Brooklyn Nets. And at that time I had all of them memorized in my head. And I remember a friend turning to me being like, dude, like, what are you doing right now? And um, it was just a, it was a very different experience. So I knew that from that point on, I wanted to work on the um, sponsorship side of the industry. But uh, I also studied sport management and media in school. And I understood that, you know, it was a little difficult to kind of uh, get that type of a role right out of school. Mm -hmm. And a more traditional path was going through the, the ticket sales route. And, and that's what I did. So started out at Monumental Sports Entertainment, the parent company of the Washington Wizards and Capitals and Washington Mystics, um, doing ticket sales there, but always kind of had my head down and knew I wanted to get to the sponsorship side of the industry and uh, was there for six, seven months and uh, really enjoyed my time there. Then I was at the Brooklyn Nets in an account executive uh, group sales role, uh, selling group, uh, group tickets for the Nets, Islanders, concerts, events, et cetera, at Barclays Center. And then from there, I was fortunate enough to get my first sponsorship role. So um, I really didn't mind uh, uh, moving around. Honestly, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had never lived in Washington, D.C. before and uh, got to experience a, a new area and meet new people that I wouldn't have met. And I'm actually uh, really close uh, with those people from Monumental. We're still in a group chat and we're talking all the time. And, and um, so really fortunate to have that experience. And, um, you know, I was just kind of on a path to get to the sponsorship side of the industry. Yeah. And, and so what is it? I mean, I think that is it, because you had such a clear path and you had a, a focus on where you were trying to get to and understood have to start in ticket sales. OK, then you get to you know move up to bigger ticket sales. Right. And then from there, you have the capabilities to then go and do what you want to do. What is it about the sponsorship partnership side? of the industry that really interests you that much? Was it just the fact that you were at that Yankees game? Uh, you know, like what, <laughs> what was it about that moment where you were like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. And this is something I can see myself diving into for, you know, a relatively long period of time. For sure. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, Thanks. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, sports is entertainment um, or 
it, it's supposed to be entertainment, yes. uh, at least partly. And so much of um, what happens behind the scenes in regards to the entertainment is made possible because of the partners and because of the sponsors who are coming in and activating and creating these awesome fan experiences. And I just thought that was super neat. And, you know, that these sponsors are shelling out, you know, five, six, seven, eight figures, uh, depending on the opportunity um, for these partnerships. And it just seemed super fascinating to uh, be able to, to kind of facilitate those relationships. And not only that, but um, it was just, uh, uh, I just lost my train of thought. So I'll just, I'm just gonna leave it there. <laughs> okay. I like that. Um, I lost your train of thought a little bit too. So I guess no, I'm kidding. No, and I think, you know, I've, I've always been interested in the sponsorship and the partnership opportunities as well, because I think it, it depends on how you're doing it, right? And we're going to get to what you're currently doing with your sports sure. marketing, where you're working with athletes and, and some properties as well. But I've always found, you know, when you work with properties, there's, I don't know, there's just so much more you can do. I've worked with a couple properties in the past recently, and there's just more activation around it. There's more you can get a little bit more specific when working with athletes themselves. It's you kind of have this story and you really can't change that story because it's, it's inauthentic. It's, it's not genuine. And you know, the advertising isn't going to come off as well. So with that being said, let's talk about what you're doing now. I mean, I, well, first off, when did you decide that you wanted to own your own business and start your own business? Considering again, you're only out of school, like what, four or five, six years at this point. It's really not that long into your career. Yeah. Yeah. It's like five years at this point. Um, so um, I started thinking about it when I was in my first sponsorship gig, which was at a company called the Relevant Sports Group. Relevant Sports Group is owned by Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins. And he founded, a, he founded an agency that then launched the International Champions Cup, which is a global soccer tournament that brings the best clubs over from, from Europe to the States each summer for slated matches. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to happen uh, this past summer uh, due to obvious reasons. Um, but um, that's when I first started thinking about it. And I give a lot of credit to my boss and someone who I consider a mentor. His name is Jeff Lesser. And he um, he really gave me a lot of the tools to, to manage the spot sponsorship process myself. And that's when I started thinking, hmm, like I'm, I'm doing a lot of this process myself. Of course, Jeff is... Jeff is helping me and, and training me, but a, a lot of it w was me doing it and having these calls and putting together the proposals and negotiating and retooling the proposals and and, think, and brainstorming the creative ideas for the partnerships. Um, so I started thinking about it then. And then I had another stop uh, after Relevant at a startup called Open Sponsorship, mm -hmm. which really was an entirely different experience in terms of uh, experiencing the startup world. Um, you know, I was employee number 10. I was the first ever account manager. So it was a very different experience, but one where I learned a lot and was, and I, I really appreciated the experience. And then, you know, I just figured while I'm young and have the opportunity to do so, and I'm fortunate enough to be able, to, you know, to be in a position to do it, I just decided to, to launch my own company. That is awesome. Yeah. Open sponsorship. Yep. I'm very familiar with them. Um, some good people. Uh, name of the founder, Ish, Ishveen. I don't want to say yep. her name wrong. Ishveen, yeah. I've seen her speak yeah, up on the panel. She is pretty fantastic and she does some pretty cool work. And and it's, I mean, it's it's the, the, the combination. It's that nice little intersection of technology and sponsorships where, you know, it's, it's kind of, I, I'm not, I personally don't 
love it as much. I, I see obviously the need and the, the solution and then the hole it fills. Uh, but obviously there's a lot of different ways to do this. And I think that is one way and clearly they're killing it. So shout out to open sponsorship and what they're yep. doing. A couple different competitors to open sponsorship as well. But I mean, let's stop there for a second. What's it like, you know, again, understanding that you want to go and start your own business at some point and then showing up to a very, I mean, just small, I mean, employee number 10, you're in a small tech ish startup in the sports sponsorship space. I'm sure there was an opportunity. Oh, that was a lot of S's. I'm sure there's an <laughs> opportunity for you to hang out there for a while and, you know, grow with this company considering I'm sure you were employee number 10. I'm sure other people in front of you have already left or, or will, will start leaving soon. Was there ever any opportunity or, or consideration to really hang out there for a while? Or was this, Hey, let me just stay here for a little bit you know, really just figure out this space some more in a different way than, you know, where you were with relevancy and, you know, kind of understand this side of it to then just be able to take that information and go elsewhere. Or was, again, there an opportunity to stay there and maybe grow with the company a little bit more? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think there could have been, I mean, I was, I certainly went into, um, I would say all of my jobs aside from my first job at Monumental mm -hmm. when that was an inside sales role. And, you know, I heard about inside sales, Hey, your job is in inside sales is to get out of inside sales. So aside from that at the Brooklyn Nets at relevant and at open sponsorship, I went into those uh, jobs thinking I was going to be there long-term and wanting to be there long-term and wanting to make a home for myself because as, as much as I'm okay with kind of switching around, I also, you know, uh, appreciate the opportunity to grow with employees and to grow with an employer and to grow with, the, you know, just to grow as a person overall um, in, in, in one organization. Um, it just seemed, you know, at every stop, there was something that kind of, um, you know, allowed me to get to the next step in my career. And, you know, this is my career I'm talking about, and I'm going to do uh, what's best for me. And that's something that, you know, when I talk to college students or, or you know, aspiring sports business professionals, it's, it's something I always tell them that they have to look out for their careers first. And, you know, if you have another opportunity, I hear people say, oh, I feel bad if I, if I leave this boss or leave this company. They've been so great. And that's amazing. And I'm, that's great. You've had that experience. But at the end of the day, you have to look out for yourself first. Um, so um, I uh, really enjoyed my time at open sponsorship and learned a lot and met great people and great connections. Um, but you know, I just felt at the time it was, um, in my best interest to, to launch Hawkwork sports marketing and give it a go on my own. And let's talk about it, man. So Hawkwork sports marketing, you gave it a go on your own. You're still doing it. You're still rocking and rolling. I know it's kind of changed a little bit over time, especially what's happened over the last six months. So talk to me about those first few months and you know, you, how did you land that first client? What was it? Did you have that client kind of in the bag before you potentially moved on from your previous job? Like how did, how did that process walk you through that timeline a little bit? For sure. Yeah. So I, um, I launched Hawkwork sports marketing just, um, pretty much right before, uh, COVID hit. So at least here in the States. Um, so definitely an interesting time yeah, to launch, timing, to launch a new agency. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, um, my first client was AVP beach volleyball. AVP beach volleyball was actually a property that we were working with when I was at relevant and, uh, had a great relationship with them there. They're great people have an awesome property. Um, you know, have a, it's a mission driven organization and I'd stayed in, stayed in touch with them and I'd kept a good relationship that uh, kept a good relationship with them. So when I decided to launch Hawkwork Sports Marketing, I had a conversation with their head of partnerships and was able to get the, to get them on board as client number one. Um, so I was, um, so I was focusing on finding AVP Beach Volleyball, AVP Beach Volleyball partners for their 2020 summer tour. 
Um, essentially how, how EVP works is it's not a traditional sports league that, you know, they have teams in certain mm-hmm. cities and then teams are traveling to those to those cities, but they have, they have individual players and they have nine tour stops around the country um, where these AVP beach volleyball athletes, they're competing in tours. So they're bringing this, this large event to beaches all around, all around the country in LA, San Francisco, Austin, Texas, New York city, Chicago, uh, Seattle, even Hawaii. So it's going all over. So uh, my focus was finding partners um, for them and, it's a great property because it's so focused on health and wellness and it's such a, that for anyone uh, who works in health and wellness or who, who even works um, sports sponsorship, I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations with health and wellness brands and it's a very opportune time to work with those brands uh, uh, given the trends of, of the American consumer. So um, I was uh, speaking with a lot of brands and I'd actually closed my first uh, two deals um, as a founder of this company on behalf of AVP Beach Volleyball, and neither contract went through uh, uh, because of COVID. So that was a bummer because you know it was something I was working on for a couple of months at that point, and had pretty much uh, dedicated ninety nine percent of my time to. So um, that was definitely a bummer. And from that point, um, you know, when it occurred to me, and I guess the rest of the country, that um, COVID was a big deal and yeah. it was not going away anytime soon. Um, you know, I thought to myself and I made a pretty quick decision that um, I was already too deep in this and, you know, I'd already laid a foundation and I wasn't going to, um, to hang it up. So at that point I, I pivoted to, to athletes and um, athletes. Uh, so athlete marketing is something that, that I had experience in already mm-hmm. and was passionate about and saw a great opportunity. in. so I just decided to, to kind of jump in from there. That is awesome, man. Yeah, it's obviously unfortunate uh, that everything did go down. But as you said, you were able to pivot pretty quickly. Uh, And I'm sure you still have those relationships with those brands, you know, crossing my fingers, they haven't gone out of business yet. That would be pretty crazy. But uh, you still have the relationship with AVP. So I'm sure when everything starts up again, which I'm just kind of assuming it does at this point, I don't know when, just Mm -hmm. kind of hoping actually (laughs) that everything does. Uh, And yeah, hand up, I might have been one of those people that was like, ah, this isn't that big a deal. We'll be fine. (laughs) I can hang outside for a month, not a big deal. And now we're on month six, I think, uh, of of what's going on. So hopefully everything does figure itself out sooner rather than later. Because, yeah, I just want to go out to dinner again. I don't know. (laughs) Jersey, we barely just opened up restaurants. I kind of just want to go out to dinner again. But that would be nice. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And with that, I guess, what was that like demoralizing? As you said, you set that foundation. You had everything ready. You had two contracts in hand a couple months in. And then bang, like something completely out of your control, right? Like obviously control what you can control, but that's totally out of your control. That must've just sucked, especially right off the bat. I mean, was there any thought to maybe give you, give some of your old bosses a call and say, Hey, you guys looking for any extra help, anything I can do? Or, or was it that easy of a pivot to say, no, like now I think, you know, this is another area we can build out. So that way in the future, now you have properties and you have athletes. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I would be lying if I, if I said I didn't, if, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, go to indeed.com once or twice yep. uh, during that period when I was feeling down on myself. But, um, you know, I, I still did make the, make the decision pretty quickly that I was going to pivot to athletes. Um, it was something that I'd actually already started to do a bit, even pre COVID, just because a lot of the brand conversations that I was having, they may not have been the best fit 
for AVP, but there may have been conversations, um, you know, that would make sense for athletes. So I was thinking to myself, I'm just having all these conversations and some of them are going to waste. So why not kind of bring some athletes in and be able to, um, to get the most value out of these conversations and to be able to actually help these brands as opposed to in some situations, um, trying to sell them, sell them something that they may not be interested in. And, you know, it just, it's kind of a lose lose for all sides. So, um, I had already made that decision a bit to, uh, to bring in athletes. And, um, yeah, it it was a, it was a pretty quick decision. Um, kind of just was a natural segue, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I guess since, since COVID pretty much, um, totally, uh, switched from focusing, focusing primarily on AVP and a few other properties to focusing primarily on the athletes. And so I know you have an interesting, I'm not going to say spin, but an interesting way of looking at the particular athletes that you work with. Now, I'm sure you'd love to work with Patrick Mahomes and, and get him <laughs> that next Oakley deal, right? That's, I think, a, a no-brainer. But I know you in particular have a great way of looking at it. So please share that with us uh, because you and I actually share the same sentiment when it comes to uh, a lot of these athletes. For sure. And shout out to uh, to Jacqueline Dahl. I think I think that's her name. She is the marketing manager for for, Pat, for oh. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah. And, and he know. is... He is awesome. Um, he uh, so in addition to his deals, he just puts out super original content mm-hmm. on his social feeds, which is really interesting. And I think it's kind of like the future of how athletes uh, market themselves is putting out their own original content as opposed to you know uh, just retweeting like an ESPN highlight or something. But mm-hmm. I guess that's for another conversation. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so my t- my take on athletes is um, I truly believe in athletes and think they are awesome people. And in my view, they are the best form of influencer because they sure are influencers because they're influencing people, mm-hmm. but they're not influencers by trade. They're influencers uh, by nature and no disrespect to, you know, the, you know, standard health and wellness influencer, because I think that they, you know, still uh, put out awesome content and have a tough job and, and they're doing great work. But I just feel athletes have a connection to their followers that most influencers uh, don't have and can't have because they aren't professional athletes. I mean, these professional athletes are, you know, have been training and competing their entire lives to get to the level uh, where they're at now. So uh, they have a trust uh, with their followers that uh, most people don't have. And, um, and what I've found from my bunch of years of working in the industry is that a lot of brands had a bad taste in their mouth of sports marketing because they think, and they've pretty much have only been pitched on high five, six or seven figure deals. Yep. And that's not the reality of what it, of what you can actually do sports marketing for. Um, you know, there are athletes, for example, we're working with athletes in the national women's soccer league, which is the top flight of women's soccer in the U S um, it's a growing, it's a growing league, but the max salary is $50,000. Um, and that is not including the U.S. Women's National Team players who are played by the who are paid by the U.S. Soccer Federation. So it's different. I'm just talking about mm-hmm. athletes who uh, players who are not uh, who are not on the U.S. Women's National Team. Max salary is 50k. So so these partnerships to them they are super impactful to their daily lives and can go a long way. And they're super into them and want to partner uh, with brands that they're passionate about in sectors that they're passionate about. And these brands don't even know that they even exist. Like these brands, these growing brands, I'm not talking about the Coca-Cola's and Nike's of the world. I'm talking about your uh, startup plant-based protein. They may have a budget of 10K, but you know, can't, can't afford an NFL or NBA star. And they, and they go, okay, well, we're just gonna, we're just gonna work, 
with influencers then. But it, it, in, in my view, and, and this is what I preach, it just makes so much more sense to work with athletes who, um, who are training every day, who can tell an authentic story about how that plant-based protein is fueling their training and competition. So it's really um, Hockberg Sports Marketing at this point um, in regards to the athlete partnerships, I see ourselves as that bridge between the, um, between the growing brand and the niche athlete. And something else uh, interesting that we found is these niche athletes, um, I won't say on all occasions, but on many occasions, their social media engagement is actually significantly higher mm -hmm. than that of star players. Um, I, I always bring up the example of LeBron James. I mean, I love LeBron. I'm a massive LeBron James fan. LeBron James fan. He's. I was actually talking to my girlfriend the other day about LeBron just because I, I I go on LeBron rant sometimes, and he's been in the NBA since I've since I've been nine years old, which is just crazy to think about. Um, but anyway, he has 72 million followers on Instagram. Obviously, none of these athletes in niche sports like National Women's Soccer League or AVP Beach Volleyball are competing with 72 million followers. But LeBron's social, LeBron's Instagram engagement is like 1%. Obviously, that, you know, that still means that there are a lot of people engaging with this content. But some of these volleyball players we're working with, their Instagram engagement is 18%, is 20%. So it just shows, you know, if you're following this, this volleyball player, you are passionate about what that volleyball player is doing on a daily basis, what they're putting in their what they're putting in their bodies, um, how they're training, what products they're using. So it just, um, I think, makes a lot of sense for these growing brands to test out the waters of, of sports marketing uh, before they can afford, you know, a tier A type of athlete. I completely agree. I think going with some of these smaller athletes, as you said, I mean, that's that's the argument I make as well as the engagement is significantly higher. If you're following LeBron, big deal. So it's 71,999,999 <laughs> other people, right? It's really not that impressive. I mean, he'll just come up and it's like, yeah, sure, I'll follow LeBron, whatever. But if you're going to follow one of these niche athletes, these niche sport athletes, someone like in the National Women's Soccer League. I mean, I think that is a very specific, you sought that person out. You are looking to see what that person is doing. I actually had Rachel Breton on. She was a part of the Morristown team, the Sky, I want to say, right? Yeah, a Sky Blue FC. Sky Blue FC, thank you. She's incredible. She's no, I think she's kind of on hiatus right now um, with the team, but she's an amazing follow on Instagram. So everybody out there, make sure to go follow Rachel Breton. Every Wednesday, she posts this video of herself dancing and she's an incredible dancer. And they're all hysterical. My favorite one, she did one to uh, My Pony by Genuine, which was absolutely fantastic. But, um, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like you are seeking out that athlete. You are specifically saying like, I am looking for you. I'm going to find you and I'm going to follow you and see what you're doing and engage with that content. And I think that's the most important part because yeah, I mean, yeah, LeBron might have more eyeballs, but let's be honest. We already know about half the internet's fake anyway. Most of them are bots or fake accounts or triple accounts or, you know, burner accounts. So how many of them are actual real people of those 72 million that are actually following LeBron? I can't answer that. I'm sure Instagram could, but they don't want to tell us because <laughs> that would ruin influencer marketing. But you know, the three, four, five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people that are following someone like Rachel Breton or some of these athletes that you work with, those are very deliberate. Those are very specific follows. And they're probably people that look up to these athletes. These are people that actually care about their stories. And as you said, it's very authentic to utilize this plant-based protein company and an athlete that has something. And you can tell that story authentically. I think that's the most important part. And so when you started to pivoting to athletes, was, was 
the niche athlete always the specific one? Did you shoot for a couple NBA or NFL guys and be like, wait a second, like maybe there's a better way to do this? Or was did you have that specific plan right from the start? As with AVP Beach Volleyball, granted, it's a big property, but in the grand scheme of things, it's more so on, on the smaller mm-hmm. side. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and just to add uh, one point to that, Michael, um, it's also not only are, are are these niche athletes scoring higher engagement rates, but it's also just overall, I guess, it relates to engagement, but it's a more intimate type of yep. relationship and more intimate type of partnership. If you're partnering uh, with LeBron, sure, you're going to get a shit ton of eyeballs to see that product uh, that LeBron's holding, but it just won't come off the same because it's it's LeBron James. That's uh, yeah. that's the best way to put it. So um, it's it just a much more intimate relationship. And, and that's what I love the most about it. Um, I will say one last point about LeBron. I love that Cranberry Sprite commercial he does. He did it <laughs> once and it runs for like every Christmas for like yeah. the last 10 years. So shout out for making some money there. But yeah. 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 Uh, 100%. No, he's a, he's a smart businessman for sure. Um, but um, yes. Yeah, so, so to answer your question, um, I never really considered um, seeking athletes or properties out in the mainstream world. And that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is it just, it, it's much tougher uh, to be perfectly honest. And most of them uh, go to a select few agencies um, and that's that, and it's tough to compete with them. So I wasn't going to try to at this point, but not only that um, on a personal level, it's, it's much more fulfilling to do these deals um, for athletes who are actually seeking out brands for authentic partnerships and to be honest, uh, need the money more than an NBA star. Um, At a previous role, I was um, a part of a, and was kind of the lead um, person on a, on a partnership with, um, you know, a TRA athlete that closed for six figures. And I was super excited about it and thought it was like the coolest thing in the world at the time. It was my, it was my biggest deal at that point. And then I realized when it came down to it, that that athlete was not even aware of anything until like a second before he signed his name on the contract. And that was that. And, you know, he's doing some social media posts and he's getting paid six figures and that's that. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. And that, and I'm not saying that, there's no deal with TRA athletes that are authentic or impactful because that's, that's not the case. And there are many examples of the exact opposite, but um, these, these niche athletes um, can really use it. Honestly, I'm working with one athlete in particular. Her name is Danny Colaprico. She's uh, plays for the Chicago red stars of the national women's soccer league. She's awesome. Shout out Danny. If, out if, Danny. if you're watching this, Danny, do you have um, Danny's handle so we can all go follow her. Yeah. I think it just, uh, a, a Danny Calaprico. So D a N N Y C O L A P R I C O. Um, yeah. So, um, and Danny, she has, so she was the NWSL, uh, a rookie of the year in 2015. She, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. She, uh, she played on the U.S. Women's National Team for for a hot second. Um, hot she, second there. <laughs> yeah, she she's played she's played overseas. She's won two championships overseas. She's been in the NWSL final six years in a row with the Chicago Red Stars. She has thirty five k followers on Instagram, and she maybe once in her entire career, and she's been in the within the NWSL for I think six years at this point. She had one brand reach out to her one time about one deal. 
never had any representation ever reach out to her. And I just think that's crazy. Like she is a formidable, talented, and awesome athlete. Also a great person, uh, more importantly. And no one's really ever uh, paid her any mind. So that's kind of um, what I'm trying to do is find these awesome athletes that have been overlooked and underserved and give them the attention that Wasserman and CAA and Octagon are giving to their tier A athletes who are making them millions of dollars. It makes sense to a degree as to why agencies in the past have not focused on them because Mm -hmm. that's not where the money is. So I'm trying to build out a model where you can build a sustainable business and still serve the underserved and help these athletes um, who can really use it, um, who can really use the attention um, and just haven't, and just haven't been getting it. And so like, especially with the rise of like micro influencers, right? Over the last couple of years, I'm sure you know who Gary Vee is and everyone out there listening. (laughs) Like that's always something that he's talked about with his companies is making sure that you, the micro influencers are real. Like someone with five, six, 7,000 followers, 35,000 followers. That's a little bit bigger, of course, but like, why have brands never paid attention to these athletes before? And again, maybe not the Bud Lights and the, you know, anheuser Bushes of the world, the Coca-Colas, the Pepsis of the world. But as you were saying before, there's a lot of these smaller brands. Why have nobody thought like, hey, maybe we can get some of these still important athletes with smaller followings or even aggregate them together, maybe get five, six, seven of them. That way, each of them gets some money. And now you kind of have this team to follow. Um, why, mm-hmm. why do you think this was never... I don't know, never a priority for some of these smaller brands, especially, I mean, even some of the big brands that could do something like this, but especially these smaller brands. Yeah, for sure. It's a good question. I think um, it comes down to a few things. Number one, it, it's simply hard to find them. Uh, first off, um, you know, if I'm a, you know, a, a new CBD brand and I'm looking to work with athletes to show how, um, you know, my CBD is helping with soreness or whatever it is, how am I, how am I going to find these athletes. You know, if I'm not a, a sports marketing expert, I'm the founder of the CBD company. How do I even know the National Women's Soccer League exists? Like, how am I going to find these athletes? So I think number one, it just comes down uh, to to actual uh, a knowledge of sports marketing. And that's another service that mm-hmm. um, not to not to promote hockey sports marketing too much, but you're literally an, here to promote <laughs> business. Dude. There you go. There we go. I was actually thinking about putting the handle of hockey sports marketing instead of my name, but I didn't yeah. do that. I, I thought okay. that'd be, put, I thought that'd be a little too absurd. All your handles are be in the, in the show notes. Don't worry. Perfect. Everybody. I'll get you. <laughs> Perfect. There we go. Um, but yeah, so um, it, it, it comes down to knowledge of, of uh, actually being able to find these athletes um, this is another service that we're providing to brands where we're actually partnering partnering with brands to build out their sports marketing strategies to not just close a one-off deal between one brand and one athlete, which that may go well, but honestly, a one-off deal where a brand may be expecting sales and the athlete just going to do a post, which isn't going to drive sales, to be perfectly honest, um, it 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 those deals don't really seem to go the best. So we're really trying to come uh, to join, join with brands as their sports marketing partner to build out that strategy. Um, so it comes down to knowledge, number one. And also in some cases, what I found, it comes down to cost. Um, because these are professional athletes, even if they aren't NBA or NFL stars, they still are professional athletes and they have a worth for themselves and I have a worth for them. And 
I don't, I encourage, um, you know, some of these athletes I'm working with who may have done deals for product only in the past where, you know, a brand will just send them product and they'll post in exchange for the product being sent to them. I do not encourage that for the athletes I'm working with. Um, I think they are worth, worth actual cash and they've trained and they are at a certain level in their careers where they should not do product only deals. You know, I've seen some athletes, um, that I was shocked by who were doing product only deals. So the issue is, is that, um, some influencers for say a similar follower rate mm -hmm. or similar engagement rate, they are doing product only deals. So it's also about educating the brands to be like, that's great. You're doing that with, with your, with your health and wellness influencers, but these athletes are not health and wellness health and wellness influencers. They can serve as your brand ambassadors to brand ambassadors to promote your health and wellness products, but they are athletes, and these are professional athletes who have been training since they've been babies, and they deserve uh, actual compensation for giving up space um, on their feeds and taking their time to promote your content. Um, so it's also just educating these brands on. Um, on who, who athletes actually are and why, and why they deserve payment. And honestly, once you explain that, like most brands do understand that, but it just, they've never, they've never been told that before and they've never thought of it. So it's really just comes down to, to education as well. And I love the passion that I hear through <laughs> that. Like you're very, I, I do appreciate that for everybody listening, uh, for everybody watching, you can see it in your face too, but for everyone listening, I mean, it's very clear how how much this does mean to you and i think that that part is very important especially working with some of these smaller athletes like let's be honest as you said that there's a reason why these bigger agencies don't work with a lot of these athletes is because it's not nearly as lucrative but as you said you're here to figure out a way to do that and i think that part's very important it seems like you are well on your way and in terms of working with these athletes and you brought it up before and i wrote a little note down because i did think it would be something good to you know, maybe finish out this conversation with for the next few minutes on athletes creating content. Um, you know, I think that is important, as you said, you know, taking up space on their feed, like that is very important. You don't want to overload your followers. You don't want to, you know, there's no reason to post just random stuff for random reasons. If that's your thing, that's your thing. But many of these athletes, it's very specific as you, you brought up with Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's creating his own content. Now, Patrick Mahomes signed a $500 million contract and has a team probably that follows him everywhere. For some of these smaller athletes, how do you suggest to them to be able to go in and create authentic content that really speaks to who they are to their followers in a way that, again, isn't taking up their entire day, but understanding that, you know, hey, your number one overall job is to be an athlete and be as awesome as you can on the field because that will influence a lot of people that way too. But you have to understand social media now needs to kind of be your second job. How do you suggest to the athletes that you're working with to go out and create this type of content that will then, again, it's not going to be tomorrow, but potentially down the road, you as their agent, you as their representative, you as the, the partner to their business can then go to these brands and say, hey, look, we create this original content. This is what we've been doing for months and months and months. This is what we've seen from it. How do you have those conversations with your athletes? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a really good question and it's honestly tough. I honestly don't think much of it should be placed on the athletes because to your point, as you just said, you know, their job is to perform on the field. And to be honest, if they're performing on the field, that will outweigh any sort of social media post um, in terms of influencing a wide, uh, you know, a, a wide audience. So um, they have to focus on the field and, and on their or court and their competition. Um, I think most of that actually comes down to the agency. Um, so for example, with Danny Colaprico, um, we're currently in the process of building out a brand for her. 
um, and building out um, a website that will have a newsletter that she will write. Um, we are going to sell merchandise. We're creating her a logo. Um, and that is something that's very common in the mainstream sports world. I just saw uh, uh, Julian Edelman. He just yep. launched a new line of merchandise, yeah, looks which is very cool. Too. It What's looks that? Bad, it looks really yeah, bad. Yeah, I, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It really was like TB12. I want to do something like that. It's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. JE11. Great job. Man. It looks like crap, but that's just my opinion, I guess. Right, right. But um, so um, it's very common in the mainstream world, for mainstream sports world, for these high-tier athletes to have their own website and sell their own merch and do all of that. But it's um, extremely rare, actually, um, when it comes to these more niche growing type of sports, whether it's ABP, National Women's Soccer League, ski, surf, et cetera. So um, it's a model that we're trying to bring in. I really think the onus falls on the agency or the representative to be able to do that. That being said, um, there has to be buy-in from the athlete. You know, If an athlete is not excited to do it or, or doesn't want to do it, it's silly for someone like me to continue to go ahead and do that because then it just doomed to fail. Um, so someone like Danny, I'm fortunate, I was fortunate enough to, to find someone like Danny who's so open to this and who wants to grow and build her brand and who believes in this and who is working with a youth, uh, a, a, a youth soccer clinic to, um, to uh, teach soccer to children. And, you know, we're currently building a youth soccer clinic for her uh, next month in Chicago and finding partners for that. So um, it's, it's really uh, with someone like Danny, we are taking a 360 degree type of approach where, where these brands, not only sure, we offer Instagram on her feed, but now we offer uh, we offer inclusion in newsletter. We offer signage around the field where her youth soccer clinic is going to be. Um, logo placement on the youth soccer clinic jersey that the kids are going to be wearing. So creating this brand for these athletes um, is also then allowing them to find uh, more impactful brand partners that truthfully are going to pay them more. And it's just kind of a win-win all around. Yeah, and the brand partner is going to be more invested too, right? Like if it's just right. a single social media post, it's really easy in a couple of weeks to be like, that was cool. But right. now, especially if it's going to be this long-term thing where you know you're going to be in a newsletter every week or every month, whatever it is, you know that there's multiple clinics coming up that you're going to be a part of. The brand's going to be more invested dollars and cents wise, but also just from a marketing perspective, they're going to want to make sure partly because it's more dollars and cents, but they're going to really want to make sure these things go off without a hitch. And I think another good point is, you know, perceptions reality, right? Like we, we may be having this conversation with about Danny again, shout out Danny. We'll all follow her <laughs> after this conversation, but you know, we're having this conversation. We think of Tom Brady and his TB12. We think of, uh, I'm sure Patrick Mahomes might have a logo. I honestly have no idea if he doesn't, I'm sure he's getting one soon. Um, <laughs> But it's just one of those things where if you have that perception as an athlete of I have my own logo, I have my own website, I have my, you know, you have all these things, people are going to see that now, whether a million people look at it or 35,000 people look at it or five people look at it, the perception is very big. The perception makes you look much bigger, which again, is just going to capture more attention overall because of this. So I think that's a really great point on your part to be able to build something like this out for Danny and some of the other athletes that you're working with, because again, that's just going to lead to more lucrative opportunities for her, which is the number one thing, but then also allow you to make a couple dollars because the more dollars you make, the more athletes you can help the more money, you know, more athletes you can help the more money you make, which means you can exactly. help more athletes. And that's essentially yep. the whole goal of the business. That's, that's the whole goal right there. <laughs> I love it, man. Good stuff. This was great, man. This yeah. was great. You have some fun. No. Yeah, no, this was great. I appreciate, I uh, appreciate having me on. I've been seeing, seeing all your LinkedIn posts being like, man, 
when is Michael talking to me? So hey. uh, it was uh, it was great to do this. Episode two hundred and two, <laughs> baby. Episode wow, two hundred two. Okay, okay, it. there we go. I You're love it. it. Appreciate the hell out of you, man. Matthew Hockberg, founder of Hockberg Sports Marketing. Uh, where can everybody find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Hockberg on Twitter. That's uh, the social media outlet I promote the most, just because I'm a big believer in Twitter. Um, but also oh, add Hawker. What's that? Twitter. I hate Twitter. It's the worst oh, place dude. on the planet. Earth. Oh, as, as someone, as someone who's involved with sports and obviously clearly also interested and talented in the media space. And I've seen you, you, uh, you work for a few other different websites and, and do some sports betting stuff as well. I, I did a little stalking. You gotta, you gotta be more active on Twitter. I'm know, telling you, it's, it's, it's where the conversation is. It's just an awful play. I, I believe <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. We'll talk about, oh, we'll find cool. you on Twitter. Where else can we find you? Uh, yeah, Twitter at Hockberg and, uh, Hockberg Sports Marketing. You can just follow at Hockberg SM on all channels, social media channels and HockbergSportsMarketing.com. Love it. I will have all those links. Don't worry, everybody. Cool, I'll man. also grab Danny's link. Make sure to send me that one too. So we appreciate it. Follow her there. But for Matthew, for myself, hope everybody makes it. Just an absolutely wonderful day here in New Jersey. The two of us <laughs> love it. Thanks for your time today, man. Bye, guys.